Well, good morning, everyone. I hope everyone had a good Thanksgiving weekend doing whatever you decided to do with friends and family or whatever. And I know it's great to be at that point in the weekend where we've had some good days, awesome weather outside, but then lots of time now to wake up and emerge from any turkey comas we've been in, get out of the shopping malls, uh, and then kind of get the glaze off of our eyes, either from watching too much football or eating too much turkey or both. So it's a good weekend, right? And then, um, and then I know last weekend we had such a meaningful experience here at Brookside dedicating the Care Center, which is really a big milestone in the life of our church to dedicate that last weekend and then to see the first families come through this last week. So, so again, don't miss the good things God is doing in the life of our church family. Again, just one example of the many things we have to be grateful for here at Brookside. Well, I know that every, every year, one of the questions that I'm going to be asked sometime around Thanksgiving time, probably a question you're asked as well, is, is this question, Tim, what are you thankful for? And, and of course, this is the right question to ask, isn't it? It's, it's a great question. But for some reason, for me, can, it can kind of feel awkward, maybe somewhat mechanical or forced to, to answer this question at times. Maybe it's because I kind of tilt toward the introverted side of things, but I don't think it's just me because when I'm in kind of family settings and this question is asked, suddenly kids excuse themselves to go use the restroom or, or parents start like looking at their screens to avoid eye contact with whoever it was that, that asked the question. And so, so I think there are probably lots of reasons answering this question can feel a little bit forced or mechanical. Maybe it's because we're asked this question in a setting where we don't know everybody. Maybe we're just meeting people for the first time or these are people that we see once every year or two. So to share something relatively deep feels forced. Or, or maybe it feels like we have to just give this mini presentation all of a sudden. And we all know how people love public speaking, and so suddenly you're now speaking in public in front of people, having to give this, poli this, this polished presentation. Or, or maybe this is just a tough question to answer. What are you thankful for? Because this last year was, was kind of a rough year for you. And you legitimately don't have something at your fingertips that you could share that you're thankful for. So, so whatever the reason, I, I think we all get that there can be times answering this question, what are you thankful for, can, can seem a little bit mechanical, forced, awkward maybe, but, but here's the thing, every time I, I stop to consciously think about what I am thankful for, every time I actually answer that question, I'm so glad that I did. So however awkward I feel going into it, on the other side of answering that question, I'm so grateful that I answered what I'm grateful for. You see, I always leave answering that question thinking, I need to do this more often. Just take time to consciously reflect on what I'm grateful for. Or, or I need to do this with my family more throughout the year because the benefits that we get from receiving and expressing gratitude are so many. I mean, so, so what I'm finding again and again is that gratitude is the gateway to joy. As you express your gratitude, and then as you hear others express their gratitude about things that, that they've received or, or things that they've seen over the course of the last year, that's so good for us to do. It opens up our eyes to all of the good things that are happening in us and around us and through us that, that if we're not careful, we can, we can miss those. 
if we don't take time to show gratitude. Things like maybe, maybe this is the year that you chose to follow Jesus for the first time you placed your faith in him. And you're, experience, you're experiencing everything that comes along with life with Jesus, including some of the assurance and the hope and the purpose that he offers. Or, or maybe, maybe just thinking about what you're grateful for reminds you of the many blessings that you've been given this last year. Specific things like God got me through that circumstance or God brought this relationship into my life. And then ultimately, expressing gratitude points us back to God, who's the giver of all good gifts, through whom and in whom we experience joy. Check out what James chapter 1, verse 17 says about how gratitude should point us back to God. James, the brother Jesus, says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So gratitude should open up fresh experiences and, and deep experiences of joy for us. And this is exactly what Anne Voskamp talks a lot about in this popular little book she's written called 1,000 Gifts. For, for much of Anne's life, she, she experienced some, some deep depression, anxiety, and fear. Things, things that many of us can even relate to in certain ways. When Anne was a young child, her younger sister was, was killed in a tragic accident at Anne's home. And Anne was there when it happened. She saw kind of the, the immediate aftermath of it. And so, so Anne gets deep sadness because that experience of losing her younger sister certainly, and of course, affected everything about her family's life growing up after that. And then, and then now that Anne's an adult, two of her nephews from the same family Two of her nephews died within a couple years of each other as infants. And so, so Anne is familiar with depression and sadness, deep sadness and fear. But that's not where Anne's story stops. As she continues writing this book, 1,000 Gifts, she decides to, to kind of take up a challenge someone gave her. Someone said, I want you to find 1,000 things that you're grateful for, 1,000 blessings in your life. Hence the title of the book, 1,000 gifts. And so what Anne does then throughout the rest of the book is she's looking for, for ways little blessings or big blessings, big blessings, right, are evident in her life. And she starts looking for ways that she can find these blessings and express gratitude for them. Listen to what Anne writes. She says, as long as thanks is possible, then joy is always possible. That, by the way, is a great statement. I mean, if, if we just took time, five minutes now to just sit there and look at that, we, we, we swim in it a little bit, there's a lot in that statement. As long as thanks is possible, joy is always possible. The holy grail of joy isn't in some exotic location or some emotional mountain peak experience, right? It's not out there, always beyond our reach. No, the joy wonder could be here, here in the messy, piercing ache of now. Joy might be unbelievably possible as we look for gratitude, as we look for the little blessings in our everyday lives. And then, and then Anne kind of finishes her thought by talking about this, this Greek word, eucharisteo. It means a lot in the book. It's, kind of a, it's a word that means thanksgiving. She spends a lot of time unpacking it. But she says this word, eucharisteo, this, this Greek word for thanksgiving. It's a Greek word that, that might make meaning of everything. She asks, 
And then over the course of the rest of the book, she replaces that question mark basically with an exclamation point. And she finds that, yes, thanksgiving really can make sense of everything. Thanksgiving really can be a gateway to joy, even in the midst of difficult circumstances. So Ann Voskamp, she, she knows that gratitude is the gateway to joy. But, but then science also piles on why gratitude is important. So it, so it opens up experiences of joy, but science tells us that gratitude is good for all sorts of other reasons as well. In the flurry of Thanksgiving emails I got this last week from distribution lists that I signed up for at some point in the past and now send me kind of random mass emails, we all get those. I got lots of Thanksgiving emails, and one of those was, here are the scientific benefits of Thanksgiving. Let, let me just say a couple of things I wrote down from that. So, so people who are characterized by gratitude, they have stronger hearts. They have better physical health. They handle stress more effectively. They get better sleep. They have better self-control, and they experience better friendships. So gratitude is important because it opens up the door to joy. Gratitude is important for these scientific benefits that everybody sees. And then gratitude is important because the alternatives don't look good at all. Because if we're not characterized by gratitude, then we'll be characterized by grumbling in the midst of bad circumstances. And we'll be that angry old man or that angry old woman, uh, even if we're 30-whatever years old, who's always seeing the glass half empty. Or, or in the midst of good circumstances, we'll take things for granted if we're not characterized by gratitude. And, and, and we'll, we'll be entitled about these many good gifts that we're just not seeing as good gifts. This last week, my, uh, or, uh, my and Carrie's twins celebrated their ninth birthday party. And they're officially old enough that they're getting separate gifts that kind of line up with their individual interests. For the first few years of their lives, we just duplicated whatever gifts we got them to save ourselves some fights on ownership rights. But now we're kind of past that. They're getting different gifts. So our twins are, are in our kitchen opening up a couple gifts they got um, from some grandparents. And, and like one of our twins is seriously holding a Nerf gun that is as tall as or taller than he is. So like watch out, right? Um, so, so they both get a couple great, great gifts. And so here they are, surrounded by wrapping paper, holding brand new gifts they just opened up. And, and I love it that unprompted, they're showing gratitude to these grandparents, saying thank you for the gifts, all that sort of stuff. And, and then in the midst of this, while one of our twins is holding this Nerf gun, literally holding it, that's bigger than he is, surrounded by wrapping paper, he sees something his brother got that he didn't. And holding this brand new toy, surrounded by these brand new gifts, he says, can I have one of those? Right? I mean, and the thing is, we kind of laugh that off, right? Because he's nine years old and it's his birthday and we get it. But the thing is, that, that posture of having everything around us, and then seeing something else that's shiny that we want, and we, we're suddenly discontented with this and we want that, that's me. That's us. And, and that posture of entitlement, as much as you kind of laugh it off as funny in a nine-year-old, right, you get it, in a 20-something or a 30-something or a 60-something, that entitlement and just taking things for granted just does not wear well at all. So gratitude is good. Gratitude opens us up to experience joy in deep ways. Gratitude confirms what science shows us, that gratitude is good for us as people. 
And then gratitude is good just because the alternatives are ugly, right? And so, so if, if all of these things are true, and I think they are, then by now we should be asking the question. So, so Tim, you've been talking a lot about gratitude, right? If, if gratitude is so good, so important, how can I grow in gratitude? When, when others describe you, how can you get to the point where on the short list of words somebody would use to describe you, grateful is on that short list of four or five or six words that come to other people's minds first when they think of you. How can I be grateful? How can you be grateful? Well, as soon as I knew I'd be teaching on gratitude this morning, that the first place my mind went was the First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. It's a short verse, packs a ton of punch, very straightforward. But here, in this, in this single verse we'll be spending a lot of time on this morning, we'll see two ways that we can answer this question, two ways we can grow in gratitude. And just to forecast where we're going, well, one of these ways we're going to see is that we grow in gratitude by realizing how good and important gratitude is, right? And then we're also going to see that we need to have a bigger vision for what gratitude involves. So, so go back a slide. Let's, go, let's read 1 Thessalonians 5.18 together and just put it in front of us, if you can go back a slide there. So, so give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We'll see how good and important gratitude is in that verse, and we'll have a bigger vision for what gratitude involves. So let's, let's dig in. Let's look at this first point. We need to realize how important and good that cultivating gratitude is. This verse we're looking at couldn't make it any more clear for us this morning. Just check it out. Give thanks in all circumstances, right? The, the command to give thanks is clear there. We should be people, God's people, as we follow Jesus, who are characterized by gratitude. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This, this connecting of gratitude to God's will, that's Paul basically taking this emphasis and he's saying, this is really important. So he's putting it in all caps, size 16, bold, underlined font, right? There's no clearer way Paul could drive home the importance of gratitude than saying, you want to know what God's will is? Yeah, there's something we have to figure out and be careful with, discern carefully, but here's one thing that's very clear, right in Scripture, God's will for you is gratitude. God's will for you is to show thankful and to be a, to be a, to be a grateful person. And we all know that when, when something is communicated this clearly, this is God's will for you, it is very important. Uh, I'm sure that sometime this winter... There's going to be, well, I'm not sure, but my kids are hoping anyway, that sometime this winter there will be a snow day where they get off of school and I still head into work to kind of take care of things here at the church building and do stuff that you've got to do because that's what you do, right? And so, so my, my kids should know by this point that on this hypothetical snow day that's probably coming sometime this year, that when I leave the house on this day when our driveway is covered in snow, one of the things I'm going to say is, hey guys, before I get home, Tonight, make sure that the driveway is cleared and the sidewalk is cleared. 
right? People ask me why we don't have a snowblower, because I've got four snowblowers at home. I've got four boys that need some purpose on a snow day like that. But, but so I say it very clearly to them, guys, what I want for you is for the driveway to be cleared and the sidewalk out front to be cleared as well. And, and they know this isn't some sort of, well, I, we can do it if we want to, but if, if screen time just takes over, then I guess it's not that big of a deal if we don't. They know this isn't that sort of desire on mine. This isn't sort of do it if you feel like it important. This is, a, hey, if you don't do it, when you get home, you're going to still do it after I'm back, and there's going to be more work we can add to the list as a consequence for disobedience. This is important in a find a way to make it happen sort of importance, right? My, my kids know that. They know when I say something that clearly that my will isn't something that they can just take or leave. They can't do it if they feel like it, but they need to find a way to make it happen. And in the same way, we see clearly that God's will for you is gratitude. Not in a, well, do it if you feel like it sort of way, but in a find a way to make it happen sort of way. It's that important. But then, but then this isn't God expressing his will with like this scowl on his face and his angry fist up in the air, right? Because God's will for us is always what's best for us. When God expresses his will to us, he does that with a smile, inviting us into life the way life is designed to, to, to be lived, so God's will is really important. We won't back off of that. And God's will is good. We want to embrace his will, not cringe at it. The best verse for this that I know of is Romans chapter 12, verse 2. I love this verse, one of my favorite verses in the New Testament, where the Apostle Paul is writing here too. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's usually where I stop with kind of emphasizing this verse. I love that first half. I, I teach on it. I talk about it a lot. But what I want to focus on is the second half of that verse this morning. Because then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. And then look at how Paul describes God's will. God's will isn't something to be cringed at. God's will isn't some, well, I guess we better get on this sort of thing. God's will is good. God's will is pleasing. God's will is perfect. And so as we, as we grow in gratitude, we discover what Paul writes here in Romans 12 too, that yes, this is really important to do. Being grateful people isn't optional. And at the same time, it is so good. It is so pleasing. And it is perfect because it lines up with what God wants for us. So how do we grow in gratitude? We realize how important it is and how good it is for us to be grateful people. But there's something else in 1 Thessalonians 5 that we want to see as well. As we grow in gratitude, we need to also have a bigger vision for what gratitude involves. Go ahead and write this down, that we need to have a bigger vision for what gratitude involves. And I'm going to spend the next few minutes working up to this point. So hang on to it. We'll get back to it in just a second after I've kind of built up to it. So another phrase in 1 Thessalonians 5.18 that we've not looked at, we just take it phrase by phrase a little bit this morning, 
is the one that comes right after the command to give thanks. So, so we're to give thanks because it's God's will, but then look at this. We, we give thanks in all circumstances. It's a big statement. And for us just to see how big this is, I want to zoom out and look a little bit at the, at the context of Thessalonica. So that way we can see the circumstances in which, in which the gospel took root in Thessalonica. So that way we can see a little bit more behind this church, boots on the ground reality that they were experiencing when Paul says, give thanks in all circumstances. So, so we, we read about the gospel coming to Thessalonica, that's a mouthful, in Acts chapter 17, verses 1 to 10, basically. And when, when Paul, on one of his missionary journeys, brings the gospel there, he spends a few weeks in the synagogue, as usual, explaining and proving that Jesus is who he said he was, that Jesus is truly the Son of God. And, and then he spends some time there defending that Jesus had to, had to suffer for our sins and rise from the dead. And as usual, when Paul comes into a town and says these sorts of things, there are plenty of people that embrace it and that lean in to this message about Jesus, who he is and what he offers. But there's also people that resist it and reject it. And so this is where we're going to pick up the story in Acts chapter 17. We'll start in verse 5. So again, Paul's been preaching the gospel. Some people receive it. But then in verse 5, we, we read that other Jews were jealous. And so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace. They formed a mob and they started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house. Jason is an early believer in Jesus Christ. They rushed there in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they didn't find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials. So, so, so think how physically scary this would have been. There is a riot in the city. They pound on your door. They don't find who they're looking for. So they drag you physically and a few others out of the house into this central meeting place in the city. Think how frightening that would have been to be surrounded by this riot, not knowing what's going to happen next. We keep reading. So they're shouting. These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They're all defying Caesar's decrees, saying there's another king, one called Jesus. And when they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. They made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. So, so Jason and these other believers, they're freed, but not after taking a hit to their wallet first for no good reason. So it's physically scary. It's financially costly here. And then verse 10, beginning of that verse says, As soon as it was night there in Thessalonica, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. And so, so the circumstances were, were fragile or were volatile enough that everybody's like, Paul and Silas, you guys got to get out of town because we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow if you don't. That's how physically volatile things were. That's, that's how stressful and dangerous the circumstances in Thessalonica were. And this is just a picture of what we read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. When, when Paul is just kind of introducing his letter, he talks about these circumstances in which the gospel took root in Thessalonica. Check it out because we see a little bit more there. He says, you became imitators of us. He says in 1 Thessalonians 1.6, And of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. So what were the circumstances in which the gospel took root 
at Thessalonica. Physical danger, financial cost, certainly some fear, suffering, severe suffering. And in the midst of these circumstances, in the midst of this situation, it's just spilling over, it's boiling. In the midst of this, Paul says, give thanks in all circumstances. That's how big this is. But let's make sure we don't misunderstand what Paul is saying here either. Because I think this could be one of those verses that people can misread, misunderstand. And this is where paying attention to to the Bible at the level of of words is important. I'm so thankful that in that verse we've been reading, Paul doesn't say, give thanks for all circumstances. There, There is never a verse in the Bible that commands us or tells us to give thanks for evil. There is never a verse or a command in the Bible that tells us to give thanks for unspeakable evil. So we don't give thanks for it, but we give thanks in it. Before we talk a little bit more about what that means, let me just have a pastor moment here with you guys. Because when I say we give thanks in all circumstances, when, when we look at what God's Word says here, about giving thanks in all circumstances. This isn't some cliche. Because because eventually you walk with enough people through through stuff you would never wish on anybody. That That you just know how difficult applying this verse can be in the midst of a family who who just buried a child, an infant. In the midst of a medical diagnosis that is exactly the opposite of what you want in the midst of a, of a fragile, broken marriage, in the midst of, of grown kids or teenage kids who are making decisions that, that you just know are going to reap, reap, reap havoc down the road for them. I, I, I've walked with people through these. And then eventually we get old enough that we experience some of these things ourselves. The, the stuff is just tough. The stuff that's difficult, the stuff that wasn't part of any six-month or five-year plan for our lives. So, so we never want to minimize any of that. Don't hear me say that at all. Even as we hold up the Bible and say, say so what does it mean to give thanks in all circumstances and follow the Bible where it leads? What does that look like? Well, it doesn't mean we have a plastic smile on our faces and we just get used to giving thanks through clenched teeth all the time. That's not what I'm suggesting. Instead, here's the best way that I've run across for how to give thanks in all circumstances. It's this. We, We don't give thanks because the circumstance is good. We give thanks in all circumstances because in all circumstances, God is still good. And in all circumstances, the gospel is still true. Because whatever our circumstances around us, it doesn't change the fact that that Jesus died for our sins on the cross. 
whatever the circumstances around us, it doesn't change the fact that God is good and loving and present with you. Whatever the circumstance around you, it cannot interrupt the truth we read about in Scripture, that for those who follow Jesus, God is working good. We don't know how. I mean, again, the, the, the intricacies of that question are, are deep, but we cling to the truth we read about in Scripture that circumstances cannot and will not interrupt or thwart. And this is where Christianity has capacity that secularism doesn't. Because because I don't know any way that secularism, kind of life without, without God in the picture, could ever say, give thanks in all circumstances. Secularism here has a ceiling on, on their gratitude, right? You can give thanks up to here, but once that happens, or once this keeps happening, boy, how, how do you give thanks then? This is where Christianity has capacity that, that, that life without God doesn't. Because Christianity will, will maintain and will proclaim that whatever the circumstances around us, we cling to the goodness of God and the truth of the gospel, that Jesus died for our sins, he's working all things together for our good, and he's present with us in the midst of whatever it is we're facing, however good or however dark. So are we supposed to give thanks for all circumstances? No way. But we can give thanks in all circumstances. Because God is good. And because the gospel of Jesus Christ is good. All right, let's, let's move kind of back through our trajectory we've been on this morning. So, so we've seen that gratitude is valuable. It's important and it's good. We've seen that gratitude is doable. We, we don't want to have some narrow vision of gratitude where we have to kind of give thanks with a plastic smile through clenched teeth. But gratitude is doable because whatever our circumstance, God is still God, and God is still good. We cling to that. Now let's move into some very practical nuts and bolts steps that you can take this week to get traction with gratitude. Whatever your history has been, and to start to grow in gratitude now over this next week and in, in, in your own life and in your family. So here's where it starts, the first point, by way of just practical application. Growing in gratitude, it starts with making space for gratitude. I know in my own life, gratitude just doesn't happen until I make some space for it. Gratitude won't happen until I turn off sports radio on my drive home and say, I'm going to take 15 minutes just of quiet right now because my life is never usually quiet otherwise. I'm going to take 15 minutes of quiet and, and just say, okay, whatever the stresses of the day, whatever thing has failed, kind of belly flop failed, I, I get those. I'm going to find a few things I can be grateful for today on my drive home. I'm going to find a few truths about God I can cling to today on my drive home. But it starts with making space for it. Or when I start writing thank you notes to people, if I write two or three or four, suddenly I'm like, I need to write 37 more of these. <laughs> because you realize how many people we have to be grateful for in our lives. Just, just making space for gratitude helps create gra grateful hearts in our lives. So we, we make space for gratitude. And then I think a second step of just very practical application is we want to be specific. And we want to pinpoint very very specific things for which we're grateful. 
Well, we were driving to my parents' house earlier this week for, uh, for Thanksgiving. I asked my kids the question that I knew would probably be coming, so I, I'm now the guy that's asking them, so guys, what are you thankful for? And immediately from the back seat, the, the, the safe, generic answers start popping up. They want to be the first ones to kind of get these answers out. So we're, we're thankful for family, for life, and then somebody said for Jesus, right? I mean, you're a pastor's kid, so you got to say that. So, so all very safe, very generic, very broad things, very true things. But what I did is I pushed my boys then to say, okay, guys, those are awesome. But now what specifically about family are you thankful for? Who are you thankful for in your family this week? What specifically about life are you thankful for? What specifically about what Jesus has done for you are you thankful for? Because we can leave gratitude up here in the generic way too easily. But when we get specific, we have to say, okay, let's drill down into what exactly it is we're grateful for. Let's put a little bit more thought into it. As we do that, I think we grow into being grateful people. Third thing is we express it. So we express our gratitude. So now that you've identified what it is you're thankful for, you share it. It becomes thanks to God that you actually express in prayer to Him. It becomes a thank you note that you write. It becomes a text that you send or a phone call that you make. Brookside's college director, Mark, he, he told me earlier this week, or probably a couple weeks ago actually, that when he was growing up, his dad made him write down three things that he was thankful for every day. Now, I'm sure some of that was mechanical sometimes. But I would also bet that Mark would say now that helped him grow into being a a legitimately, genuinely grateful person. Just having to express it helped him grow in gratitude. Or there was a speaker I heard one time who said every day, one of the prayers he just prayed in the morning was asking God, God, who can I give thanks to today? He'd pray about it, and then whatever name popped into his mind, he would just say, okay, I'm going I'm to write a quick note to that person, send a quick text to that person, say thank you to that person. Just the, just the practice of expressing gratitude helps these people grow in gratitude. It's, it's important to express it. Another thing we do is we just practice. Practice, practice, and practice. Any coach will tell you that practice makes better. If you want to get better at something, just do it. Do it and then keep doing it consistently over the course of time. Sometimes you feel like it, sometimes you don't. But eventually, the more we do it, the more our hearts catch up with our actions, don't they? And so the best way to grow to gratitude, to grow in gratitude, or at least a great way to grow in gratitude, is, is we just keep doing it again and again and again, week in, week out, over the course of our lifetimes. And we become grateful people. And then last thing by way of application is that we focus on the giver. Capital G, giver. You see, God doesn't just give us stuff. God isn't just some divine slot machine or some divine Santa Claus where he gives us all these good things and those good things are an end in themselves. You see, every good gift God gives us shows us something about who God is. And, and every good gift God gives us, it's not an end in itself, it invites us into a relationship with God, who is the ultimate giver of every good and perfect thing we receive. And so in the midst of the many good things God has given you, 
Don't so focus on that stuff, on the blessings, that we forget the capital G giver who is behind every good and perfect gift that we have. So now what I want to do is I want to kind of crescendo up a little bit. We've talked a lot about gratitude, and we, we've certainly got some good information just from, from one verse about how to grow in gratitude ourselves. And so what I want to do is I want to move now from that information, that stuff we've been seeing, and, and we want to say, let's, let's, let's focus on formation for just a couple minutes. And, and if making space for gratitude is key to growing in gratitude, let's, let's get out of the box a little bit this morning, and let's make some space for gratitude right now before we're done this morning. And so here's what, what I'd invite you to do. Just uh, If you're holding the pen, if you're taking notes, if you've got a phone in your hand, following along with me, put all that stuff down right now and, and just close your eyes. We're going to spend three minutes doing this. So you, you can put up with anything for three minutes, right? So, so, so this is good, though, for us to make space for gratitude. Close your eyes, and, and the first thing I want you to do is to focus on God. There's a Christian psychologist out there. He says that the biggest enemy of gratitude is self-importance and self-sufficiency. And so, so we need to always see that, that before gratitude, we acknowledge dependence because gratitude is always receiving something from somebody. We aren't completely self-sufficient. It's good that God is in control, that he's the giver of all good things. And so gratitude always just starts with humility reminding ourselves who God is, that He's the giver of every good and perfect gift. He, he's the reason you're here right now, breathing in and out. He's the reason you could get here this morning. He's the reason we have the freedom to worship like we do. So this morning, just take a few seconds and express dependence on God. Just say, God, I humbly come to you. In your own space right now, just privately to yourself, God, I humbly come to you. And I'm dependent on you. Now what I want you to do is I want you to identify one blessing in your life. So just a good thing that God has given you. Maybe it's your salvation. Maybe it's Jesus dying for you on the cross. Maybe it's something this, that just happened this last week in your life. Maybe it's a relationship you've had for a long time. Identify one blessing in your life. And I want you to get specific here. If you thought of family, who in your family? Think of, of names and faces. If you thought of an event, what is it about that event that you're grateful for? Now just take a few seconds and, and very consciously just say thanks to God for that thing you've identified. And now I want to jump up to Gratitude 401, right, graduate level. Now I want you to identify one trial that you're facing in your life. Maybe it's a, a, a speed bump that you're working to get over, or maybe the trial and the difficulty is so big you can't see around it. 
but think through that trial that you're in the midst of right now. And then the, the next thing I want you to do is I want you to, with that trial in mind, I want you to think of one truth about God that you can cling to. One truth about the gospel that you can cling to in the midst of that trial. It doesn't take away the difficulty of what you're going through. But what truth about God's presence, about his love, his compassion, his plan, what truth about what Jesus Christ has done for you can you cling to? Now just take a few more seconds and say thanks to God for that truth about who he is. Express gratitude to him for his character. Now let me pray for us, for all of us. Heavenly Father, we, we just together as a church say thank you. God, forgive us for, for grumbling too often, for, for, for taking things for granted too much. God, we, we acknowledge that you are the giver of every good and perfect gift. So Father, we humbly acknowledge how dependent we are on, on, on you for things that we, we maybe will never even see what are the blessings that you've given us. So God, thank you. Jesus, help us be a church that is characterized by deep and genuine gratitude, that shows gratitude to other people, Jesus, but ultimately that shows gratitude to you for giving us the gift of salvation, inviting us into life with you. Jesus, through that gratitude, may we experience joy and the full life that you offer. We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen.